Hello, Googleization Nation. Welcome to Better Leaders, Better Workplaces, a GGG Unleashed podcast with thought leader Vivian Blaine. I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. In each of Vivian's episodes, we'll cover the latest trends and emerging practices around creating resilient workplaces. Let's begin. Hello, and welcome back to GGG Unleashed, Better Leaders, Better Workplaces. I'm Vivian Blade, President and CEO of Experts in Growth Leadership Consulting and a recognized leadership and resilience thought leader. On this podcast, Better Leaders, Better Workplaces, you'll get the latest insights and proven strategies to help you solve the pressing turnover, burnout, and workplace culture challenges your company is struggling with right now. So if you're an HR leader or a business leader, you don't want to miss an episode. A McKinsey study focusing on how businesses can best organize for the future suggests that, and I quote, future-ready companies share three characteristics. They know what they are and what they stand for. They operate with a fixation on speed and simplicity. And they grow by scaling up their ability to learn and innovate. And HR, McKinsey explains, can help propel this transformation by facilitating positive change in these three key areas. Now, however, the challenge is HR often doesn't have a seat at the table or a real credible voice they need to influence the direction of their company. McLean and Company's 2023 HR Trend Study found that while perceptions of HR's effectiveness among non-HR professionals has improved, Really, it's only around 40%, not even half, that perceive HR as highly effective overall. So bottom line, while HR needs to be in a position to propel the transformation in organizations, there's still a lot of work to be done there. So my guest today is going to help us to solve that. I'm so excited to introduce you to Michelle Fant-Harris. Michelle is the founder and CEO of MFH Associates, which is a leadership coach and development firm. She holds a senior certified professional SHRM SCP certification from the Society of Human Resource Management and a senior professional in human resources, SPHR, from the Human Resource Certification Institute. And prior to starting her own firm, Michelle served as the executive vice president Human Resources for National Cooperative Bank. And she's been a client of mine. Hello and welcome, Michelle. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you, Vivian. Very nice to be here. Thank you for the invite. Great. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to learn from you. And as we get started today, I would love for you to just share a little bit with us about yourself, you know, your background and your work. Well, thank you very much for the, again, for the invite. Um, As you said, I have 30 plus years of experience in human resources management, and I spent my entire professional career in human resources management. And part of, for me, I think I'm a little different than many people in the fact that I love the field of human resources, and I've been in HR management and pretty much worked as a generalist. But I believe that the way to grow in human resources is to work in various industries, because you learn and grow from each industry and have new experience in each industry that you wouldn't experience in others. And so I've spent my career in 
in banking, in insurance, in education, in nonprofit organizations, in healthcare environments as well. So I think I've gotten a well-rounded background of human resources in terms of changing industries. And now it's made me better in my own company in terms of coaching individuals and helping them grow and develop professionally as well as personally. Excellent. Michelle, that is a vast experience and I can't wait to dig into it and learn from all of that and you know all the industries that you've been a part of and everything that you bring to the table. So let's take a look at some of this deep HR experience. And I want to talk about some of that through your role as former executive vice president of HR with National Cooperative Bank, as you mentioned. And Let's think about your role at the bank for a moment. You had a seat at the table as part of the executive team. So what did it mean for you to have a seat at the table as we talk about really this topic of HR being able to transform organizations? So what did it mean for you to have that seat at the executive table? And how were you able to really influence those business decisions and integrate the human capital strategy with the business strategy? What did that look like for you? I was blessed to start my role at the bank 21 years ago at with a seat at the table. And what I found that it gave me is a broad view of what the organization was involved in. So you were not just looking at the human capital strategy, but you were looking at every business line and understanding what are the needs and uh, the future direction of which the bank was going. And so you made yourself a better business partner because you were able to bring back to your HR team, here's where the organization is going and here's what we need to do in terms of human resources to help them get to that new place in which they're going. So for example, when the bank was going to start a new line of business in energy management, and that was not an area that we had before, then we had a heads up to know This was in the planning stage and it had to be presented to the board of directors before it was accepted. And then that would lead us in terms of getting ready to start doing our work in terms of talent acquisition. Where can we bring in talent in that new field where we know that we don't have persons who are experienced in that area that are currently within the bank? Being able to be at the table, understanding what other areas are involved with, the direction that the bank is going, or that the organization is going, it helps the HR leader to be a better leader to help her team and guide her team, as well as guide the human resources and human capital strategy. So excellent. So it sounds like really that you all were deeply integrated, and especially at your role, you had the relationships and you were deeply integrated in business strategy, what was going on, you were well versed in the business. And you those are some areas that that really helped you a lot. So, you know, I commend you for that. And I think that's excellent. It sounds like you were able to make a significant impact in the organization. And, you know, I believe that leaders in that HR, H- CHRO type of position such as yours, they, they may often have a seat at the table. But what I find when I'm talking to business and HR leaders a lot of times is that it really is their direct reports. Maybe they're, they're VPs, senior directors, directors, and, and their teams, sort of those next layers down, they tend to have a tougher time being invited to the table where a lot of the ongoing operational strategy and a lot of that day-to-day work is actually getting done. They're often seen as more administrative, not as essential to the strategic focus within their organizations. Yet the lack of HR's presence there 
is creating some critical gaps in overall business strategy, in their operational capacity. And, you know, what we've seen is that it exacerbates a number of workforce challenges. So I'm curious, did you all experience something similar to this? Or has that been a concern that maybe some of the HR colleagues in your circle have experienced? Uh, yes, the bank did experience that. And uh, I think we did a really good job in terms of tackling that problem. The bank established a management advisory council, which would include about two to three members of vice presidents or senior vice presidents who reported to the executive vice presidents and the chiefs that were on the executive council. And they met every other month, sometimes quarterly, and to deal with some of the issues that were coming down from the executive council, which also got their direction from the board of directors. So a flow through, of here's the strategy of where we're going, and now here is what we need you to do. And then they are able, those persons on the management advisory council, supervise employees who are going to be actually doing the administrative operational end of that. So they can go back to their employees getting more information, more detailed information that probably and most definitely that the senior executives on the executive council hadn't thought about. Uh, how does one system affect another system and how what we need to change on one end to make this system work in the direction which the bank wishes to go. So they are able to provide help in that end. The bank took it a step further before I left and they basically added those members of that management advisory council to the annual strategic plan so that each member of the management advisory council was on a team that was working on one or more of the strategic goals for the organization. Because the bank had a three-year strategic plan, but there were annual goals that had to be met in between. So for example, my senior vice president of human resources, both of them were on the management advisory council and both of them were the chairs of the diversity, equity, inclusion uh, council fellows program. And they were in charge of really directing and managing that program and then presenting their work on to the board of directors. So even though all executive council members staffed a committee on the board or were the liaison to a committee on the board, that also allowed those members of the Management Advisory Council to also have that same opportunity to work directly with the board of directors as well as their individual team members and contribute back to the overall strategy for the organization. Well, that's excellent. So it sounds like you had cross relationships and involvement and partnership across all layers of the business, across multiple functions of the business, and you were integrated, your teams, your HR team was really integrated into sort of the operational councils and committees, where a lot of both of the strategic and operational work was taking place, and you were really able to forge those partnerships. Yeah, and it made, uh, I think, a well-rounded strategy session because you were getting it from three different levels, from the board's direction, mm-hmm. the executive team would present, here's our overall proposal, but then working along with the members of the manager, uh, Management Advisory Council gave a little bit more detail in terms of, you know, here is the big picture, but then here are some of the individual projects that we'll handle under each picture. Gotcha. Gotcha. Excellent. So, you know, with that strategic 
involvement and contribution, you were really able to change perceptions of HR. You had a, a seat and were invited in uh, oftentimes at, at the table. You know, that makes me think about some of the mistakes that HR leaders and professionals maybe tend to make that contributes to them being perceived as more administrative and less strategic. What are some of the mistakes that you've seen or experienced? I think the mistake is HR really understands the people and brings in more of the emotional support issues, but you need the data and to come in with data to prove exactly what your hunch is saying and what you know intuitively about the people of your organization, you need to support data with what's going on in your industry or what's going on in the environment. So a perfect example for me that I can remember was COVID, the beginning of COVID, and how we initially went out initially for, just like all companies did, you know, working from home for the five days per week. And as COVID began to lesson and the vaccinations increased, there were more persons coming back into the workplace. And the senior executive team or the executive council really was pushing to come back into the workplace five days a week. And my intuition is that is never going to work. The work environment has completely changed. And if you push that, we're going to lose many people. So it meant, you know, working with change management and basically having surveys done about employee feelings, giving more uh, data about persons leaving the organization and why they were leaving the organization. And that our we were so proud of having turnover at less than 10% and how that was now in the double digits. And if we kept forcing people back in the workplace five days a week, there would not be many people working there. And we were definitely lose the talent that we had at the organization. Yeah, I I think that's really an important point where you were really able to influence the decisions and and perceptions and, and just thinking through strategically what needed to be done with your human capital based on some of the data that you had. And oftentimes, even though we might have human resource management systems or information systems, we don't necessarily utilize or use the analytics with that data. So having people on our teams who can help us with those analytics would be critical. So that's 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 an important point. So Michelle, I, you know, I also think that whether you're at the executive vice president or CHRO level, though you may have a seat at the table, really having an influential voice may still sometimes be a challenge. So what's some advice that you would give to senior level HR executives in building greater influence and in how to leverage their influence in the C-suite? I would say you would want to focus on the big picture issues of human capital and how human capital strategy can help build the various lines of business for your company. And once you focus on that, you need to make sure that you relate it back to your industry in terms of things that you're doing and how they can help the industry as well as the various lines of business in your area. You need to be very careful because your board of directors are gonna read something in the newspaper and they may want you to go off on a particular tangent and that might take you a lot of time You want to make sure that you address their needs, but you also have to keep them on track to say, I know the area, I know our employees, we have a good handle on this, and here are the things we're doing in the area to prepare. 
So for example, for me, a large conglomerate was moving in the area where we were, and people were afraid that they were going to take a lot of our employees away, particularly in the information technology area. And that didn't occur, And but we were prepared. And I've done my research to say, yes, it's a big conglomerate, it's a big name, some people may leave, but when you look at the overall package of what we offer and the types of activities our employees can get involved in versus the working at this big conglomerate, we're not likely to lose employees because we offer the more a huge total rewards package and a good employee engagement activities to keep people fully engaged in their work. And whereas they would be limited and sort of stymied at this large conglomerate. And so you need to keep the board aware. You need to make sure that you know your employees and 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 be feel confident in your workforce as well as the industry and your company. You know that's that's excellent. You know it makes me think about the insight that you used meant that you had to have a network of people, a community of other HR leaders and and business people that you knew outside of your company to help you to have insight of, of as to what was coming and how to compare your benefits package to others. So did you have a community of other HR leaders that you would connect with to talk about similar challenges and to share best practices? And, and how has that been beneficial for you? Yes. And I have always had a network of HR professionals that I've worked with, regardless of what industry I've worked in. And that's the first thing I'll tend to do is that when I change industries, I tend to look for what is the HR professional organization that deals with that particular industry, and I tend to join that. And and you get a variety of ideas of, of things that other companies are doing. You're sharing policies, practices. You're finding out what's new in the industry. And if it is a large enough network, you'll find many other conferences you can go to. Yes, SHRM is very important, but it's also nice to go to you know, roundtables and professional meetings for your industry human resources areas as well, too. And I found it beneficial. You've got to share. You have to share information with them and they'll share information back with you. But it'll give you sort of a a bird's eye view about what's happening in the future and what other companies, some are larger than you. They may have already tackled that particular problem before, or you're able to help somebody who hasn't thought of a particular issue to deal with. Excellent. And, you know, I like your point about not only in your functional area of expertise to make connections, but also broadly across your industry, which is which is critical. Now, you've given us some great points here, and and I want to make sure that as we get ready to wrap up, that people walk away with two or three tangible actions. So what two to three key pieces of advice would you give HR leaders and HR professionals to help them to get and keep a seat at the table? I would say three points for anyone in human resources. The first thing is to know the people. Know the people in your company. Know what drives them, what keeps them, what, why did they stay with your organization? Why did they come to the organization? And what I find is that, yes, money is important, but people, if they're in fully engaged with the work and they're learning and growing, they will tend to turn down a couple of dollars to really grow and develop when they see that they're moving in a direction and they're professionally growing. The second thing is to know what the company's industry is. Think, know the industry and know your company. Know what other 
other competitors are doing in the industry, being able to rely on them to ask information, get information, as well as sharing that information with your organization so that you can help move your organization further. And then the third thing is, from as a human resources professional, always lead from the heart. Um, and that's hard to do, but it is really important when you know in your heart that you are thinking of what's best for the organization and the people for that organization, you will make good decisions, both for the organization as well as for individuals. And you'll have greater respect from persons at all levels when you learn to lead from the heart. You know, human-centric organizations is something that we know that we have to create in this environment if we want to retain employees. You know, Michelle, there are a lot of non-HR business leaders who also listen to this podcast, and I would love for them to be able to take away, too, some ways that they can help make sure HR is at the table and fully contributing in making business decisions. So what kind of advice would you have for them? Well, for those non-HR executives, I would say to you certainly need to partner with your your chief human resources officer for any project that you're going to do because it's got to involve the people. And so therefore, you're going to have to involve human resources. But human resources has a lot of ways to basically contribute in terms of talent acquisition, talent growth and development as well. And so partner with them. And if they're not at the table and you're thinking of a new initiative that you're bringing to your organization, when you present it to the executive council or to your top executive board, bring that chief human resources officer along with you. That person is not already at the table and share that and have a dialogue that this is a partnership that you're working with together. If the CHR is CHRO is already at the table. I would say when you do your uh, strategic planning at the end of each year and preparing for the next year, you make sure that you partner, that human capital is involved in a number of projects, not only those in the human capital area. Great. That's excellent. And, you know, as you demonstrated there, Michelle, there's a shared accountability to make sure that human capital is in everything that you do in your organization is affected in every every place, uh, every part of your organization. So there's a shared responsibility to make sure that HR is represented. So Michelle, thank you so much for, for being with us. And as we get ready to wrap up our interview here today, I want to just make sure that you have an opportunity to share with people what might be the best way to connect with you or get in touch with you? I'm sure some people may have some questions or want to want to follow up with you. Certainly. Well, as you said, when we started, I've started business, MFH Associates, and we are responsible for corporate coaching, coaching and development, as well as training services. So you'll see my LinkedIn profile and email and phone number and contact information on the information sheet at the end of this podcast. So feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to help you with any of your coaching and training needs. So thank you again, Vivian, for this opportunity. And I look forward to hearing from others. Great. Thank you so much, Michelle. We'll have Michelle's contact information in the show notes as well. So you can check there. And we really, really appreciate your insight. So thanks again. I trust that you got as much from this interview with Michelle Fant-Harris as I did. I have a couple of resources that I want to share with you. One, you can download my guide, HR's Seat at the Table, How to Get It and Keep It. You'll find the link to that in the show notes. 
And then, as Michelle mentioned, it's good to connect with a community of other HR professionals that you can share experiences with and best practices with. I'm going to be hosting a Seat at the Table HR Leaders Circle Summit soon, so you'll also find a link to more information in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining me today. I work with organizations to build better leaders and better workplaces. Let's work together to enhance yours and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always sharing resources and generating conversations about the topics we talk about on this podcast. I'd love to hear from you. If you're ready to elevate your leadership or would like to bring an inspiring message to your conference or a corporate event, let's have a conversation. I'm here to help. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and learning how to develop better leaders and better workplaces. We'll be back next month with Vivian for another episode. But until then, you can access some of Vivian's resources by visiting her website, vivianblade.com. And remember, don't let the shift hit your plans.